Praise God. So good to have our kids with us this morning. Kids, did you bring your Bibles today? Bring your Bible to church every week. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And you can also find Luke chapter 2. We'll just look at a couple of scriptures today. But in the book of Acts chapter 4, I want you to look down around verse 32. Acts 4.32 says, Now the multitude, that just means a big crowd of people, of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now that verse alone, talking about these beginning days of, of this church, the church that we are now and that we're a part of, there's a huge miracle already happening in that one verse alone. Do you notice he said that it was a multitude? Like we said, that's a big, huge crowd of people. And in this great big group of people, they were all of one heart. Somebody say one heart. One mind. That's an amazing miracle. Because most of the time, if you get, I don't know, two people, Three people together, it can be hard to get them to agree on anything. You got all these different opinions floating around. And you can see what miracle was already going on in this church. They were a crowd of people, but they were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now look at verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I want you to say this last statement with me. Look up here. It's on your screen. Say it with me. And great grace was upon them all. Say it again. And great grace was upon them all. One more time. And great grace was upon them all. Man, there were so many good things happening in this church. We're just here in Acts chapter 4, but if you were to back up just a few chapters, chapter 1, Jesus is ascending to the Father, and the last thing he says to his disciples is, I want you to go wait because the Holy Spirit's coming. And when he comes on you, you're going to be endued with power. That means power's going to come on you, and you are going to be my witnesses to people everywhere. So they left there, and in chapter 2, they were all just about 120 of them. Not, not even as many people as in this room right now. Just gathered together in this little room upstairs, and they're just doing what Jesus said do, right? Wait. Jesus said wait, so what do we do? We wait. And they're waiting, and they're praising, and they're worshiping God, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says, suddenly a sound as of a rushing mighty wind came from heaven, and it filled up that room where they were sitting, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on them. They were all filled with the Spirit and divided tongues of fire. It looked like fire was sitting on top of each one of them. I mean, can you imagine being in that room that day when that sound filled up that place and all of a sudden you look at your friend and you go, hey, bro, you're on fire. <laughs> No, dude, you're on fire and everybody's on fire, but they ain't burning up. It's the fire of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And then this little group that was 120, they start, they start talking, but it's in a different language. 
And it sounds funny to them, but it's just what's bubbling up and coming out of them. And they come out of that upper room and a bunch of people, was, there was a big crowd that day. They looked and thought, these guys are drunk. And Peter said, we drunk, but it ain't like you think. It's way too early for that. And he said, we are drunk in the Holy Ghost. And Peter started preaching. Now think about this. Here's a guy who just a few days ago denied even knowing Jesus. Somebody said, yeah, I saw you, you were with him. But because he was afraid, he said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And three times he denied even knowing Jesus. Now all of a sudden that guy is preaching. He's standing up in front of a crowd of people preaching the gospel to him with boldness, unafraid of what others think or what people would do to him. Something happened. Something got in this guy. Something got on this guy, right? It was the Holy Spirit. And when he got done preaching, the Bible says that 3,000 people, now that's a little more than we have in this room today, but 3,000 people got added to the church. So the day started, how many people were in the church when the day started? 120. By the time the day was over, kids, how many people were in the church? 3,120 or somewhere thereabout. This is amazing. Growing this much in one day, this is supernatural growth. This is God growth. And then I don't know how much longer it was. The Bible tells us about a day that Peter and John were going to church just like they did all the time. And they passed a man that was laid there right at the gate, but he couldn't walk from his mother's womb. From the time he was born, he couldn't walk. And he'd been laid right there. And now he's over 40 years old and he's been begging. Why? He can't walk. And if he can't walk, he can't work. If he can't work, he can't make money. So he's got to beg from other people. Do you have anything I can have? Can I have a little bit of what you got? You got anything in your pocket for me? Please, please, please. And Peter comes walking by and this guy looks at Peter and says, alms, which means, can I have something? And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but I got something else. Just a few days ago, I got this other thing that you got to taste. You got to get a little bit of this. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, what I, I love this about Peter, he didn't even let the guy do it. The Bible says he grabbed him by his hand and yanked that joker up. It's like you're walking whether you want to or not. Somebody say boldness, boldness. And that guy who could not walk for 40 years went running, leaping and praising God. Glory to God. Something's going on in this church. And of course, that got a big crowd of people. And here goes Peter again. Peter pipes up again and starts preaching again. And the Bible says that another 2,000 people got added to the church. This thing is growing. Just a few days ago, it's 120. Then it's 3,120. Now it's 5,120. This thing's growing. Look at all these wonderful things that are happening in that church. And the good news is, that's the church we're a part of. Amen. These things aren't over. 
These things haven't come to an end. We're not reading about them so we can look back and say, oh, I bet that was neat. We're reading about these things so that we stir up some faith and say, bless God, that's what we're going to see. That's what we'll have in this church because we're part of that same church. Amen. Somebody say same church, same team, same church, right? But man, it, it went on. Uh, people got added to the church. Miracles were popping like popcorn. And then the Bible tells us in this verse that we read that there was this supernatural move of the compassion of God. And nobody, nobody considered that anything they had was their own. People looked at what they had and said, God, you need this. Show me who needs this. It's all available to you, Lord. If you want me to sow it, I'll sow it. You want me to sell it, I'll sell it. And the Bible says that there was no lack. No lack in that church. 5,000 and 120-ish people. And you couldn't find any lack among them. Wow. Wow. And like I said to you last week, moms and dads, it wasn't because that church was built in some rich part of town. It wasn't because they were going after the affluent college degree holding, good job having demographic. No, it didn't have anything to do with that. The Bible told you what all of that was. How do you sum up Everything that's been going on in that church, everything from being baptized in the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Spirit and, and speaking in tongues and having power to preach and having power to work miracles and, and, and people being added to the church every single day and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing miraculously. How do you explain no lack among the people? Well, you explained it just a moment ago when you said these words, great grace was on them all. That's how you describe that. That's how you put in one statement, every good thing, every supernatural, miraculous thing that was happening in that church. You say it like this, that place got some grace on it. I don't know what else to say. I don't know how else to explain it. Grace, grace. How'd that church get that stuff? Grace. How's that church growing like that? Grace. Huh? How'd that church build that place? Grace, grace, grace. I heard there's miracles happening there. How they do that? Grace, grace, and not just grace. Help me out. What kind of grace? Great grace. You look that word up, you know what it is? Mega. It literally means mega grace. What kind of grace was on this place? Mega grace. And glory to God, I'm declaring it over us and over this church this morning. There is great grace. Now listen, upon us all, on all of us. Now, if you were here last week, we got, we got excited about the grace of God. We got excited about what his grace is and what his grace has done. You know, we're saved by it. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. So anytime you hear the word gift, you should think grace. Anytime you hear the word grace, you should think gift because you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't clock in and clock out. And then at the end of two weeks, God said, okay, I owe you salvation. That's not how this worked. He gave it to you. He didn't owe you anything, but he gave you everything. 
When he gave you Jesus, he gave you everything he had to give. And he called it grace. He said, it's yours. It's a gift. And we got excited about the grace and the, the taste of that grace that we got when we made Jesus the Lord of our lives. When you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, I repent and I receive forgiveness. You made him your Lord and you got grace. He didn't say, okay, well, uh, you, you do these, this list of things, you check these boxes and then maybe we'll see and we'll talk about it. No, all you had to do was receive it. Like a gift, like a birthday gift or a Christmas day gift. You don't got to work for that stuff. If you do, you get a different dad because I'm telling you, it's a gift. It's a gift and all you have to do is receive it. And, and kids, listen, grownups get dumb sometimes when they, when they get older and they call it being spiritual and somebody tries to give them something and they say, Oh no, I couldn't possibly. No, 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 no. I couldn't possibly receive that. That's too much. That's too nice. That's too expensive. And they think it's humility. <laughs> really, it's just stupidity, but they think it's being spiritual. But is there a kid in this room or in this world that would come out on Christmas morning and see all those gifts wrapped and, and set around the tree and your mom and dad looks at you and says, baby, this is for you. Is there a kid in the world that would go, oh no. Oh no, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly. Mommy, that's too nice. That's too much. Daddy, I couldn't possibly receive that. Thank you, but no. There's not a kid that dumb in the world. You got to grow up to get that dumb. What's a kid do? Thank you. I'll take it. You tear into it. And that sucker is yours, man. Why not with the grace of God? Huh? He's holding it. What does faith do? Does faith say, no, I couldn't put, no. Faith says, thank you. Thank you. If you learn to say thank you to God, you are a person of huge faith, great faith, mega faith. Faith says, thank you. But what the Bible says is that we have to grow in that grace. In other words, when you tasted grace, the day Jesus came into your heart, that wasn't supposed to be the end of it. There's more grace. And that's why the Bible says in the book of James chapter four, verse six, he gives more grace, more more than what he gave me that day? Yeah. And you don't got to wait 365 days. You don't, you don't got to wait till next Christmas, huh? You can get some more of it like now. You can have some more grace tomorrow. You can have more than that the day after that. He gives more grace. Say it out loud. He gives more grace. And the Bible says we got to grow in it. Second Peter chapter three says grow in the grace of God. Now in this church, we've already tasted some of that grace. All I have to do is drive up here and look around. This is not what this place looked like a couple of years ago. Man, it was rough. Some of you came and you saw it. I know our staff did. I know our team did. Those who moved in with us. And when we looked at it, it's almost like you had, I wish somebody would invent like faith glasses. You know what I mean? So like this way you see it in the natural, but you put your faith glasses on. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. It's amazing. You had to look with faith glasses to look at this place. And there was no way this little team 
this, this little handful of people could rebuild and reconstruct and do everything that needed to be done here, it was going to take some grace. It was going to take some grace. And the Lord graced us. And when he graced us, we, we can see this all the way through scripture. That means he helped us. That means he strengthened us. That means he gave us favor with people. All of these words are descriptions of the grace of God. But here's the deal is even as much as we've had up until this point, there's more, but we're going to have to grow into it, grow into that grace. We'll talk more about that, but let me draw your attention to one other thing. He said in that verse, great grace who can finish it for me. Great grace was upon them, upon them one more time upon them. Now, of course, when he said all, he was probably just talking about the preachers, right? Hmm? When he said all, he, he probably just meant a few of the leaders. He, he said all, but really, honestly, he may have just meant some people that prayed a little bit more. Maybe some people that God said, okay, I like you a little bit more than I like you, so you're going to get a little more. Come on, help me out. What did he say? Great grace was on them. Let me just hear the kids. Grown up, shut up for a second. Great grace kids was where? On them Oh, oh, what does all mean? All means all. There you go. Thank you. Preach it, sister. Everyone. Grace was on them all. Is it possible that there was grace on the preachers? Yeah. Grace on the leaders? Yes. There was grace on the grown-ups? You bet. But if grace was on them all, guess who else the grace was on? The kids. I mean, it had to be, right? This was not a grown-up only church. Nobody would have come to that. That'd be boring. Grace was on them all. From the least to the greatest, from the oldest to the youngest, grace was on them all. That means help from God was on all of them. Strength from God was on all of them. Anybody else in here that could use a little more God help? Man, I know I could. I love it when God comes alongside and says, alongside and says let me help you with that. Let, let me help you do what you're doing. Let me strengthen you. Paul prayed, you might remember this, and man, he was going through a real trial. And he says he pleaded with God three times to get this thing off me. And finally, God spoke to him and said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And God was saying to him, hey, I've already given you everything you need to deal with this. Quit begging me. Begging doesn't work. Pleading with God doesn't work. You know what works? Faith. Receiving by faith what grace, the gift that grace has given. And he said there that my strength is perfect. Anybody use a little more God strength? Man, I would like some God strength. I run out of Jeremy strength quick. I run out of Jeremy strength in a hurry. But when that God strength comes on on the inside of you, let me give you a real good biblical example of this. Popeye the sailor man. Some of you kids are going, who the what now? Popeye the huh? Don't worry about it. Google it. 
But it was a cartoon when your parents and grandparents, and maybe your great-grandparents were kids. But you remember Popeye, right? He was, he was in love with olive oil, type of the Holy Spirit. And there was this other guy in town, every episode. I don't know how they got away with making a cartoon where this was every episode. But Popeye's mortal enemy, um, what was his name? Brutus, I think later it was Bluto or whatever. Same, same guy, different name. He was also in love with olive oil. Now, this Brutus guy was huge. He's massive. He's this big brute of a guy. And he loved olive oil, but olive oil loved Popeye. So Brutus does what anybody does when he loves somebody, but they don't love you back. He kidnaps her, <laughs> ties her up with ropes, puts her on the train track. Man, this is love, ain't it? Meanwhile, Popeye's trying to fight Brutus to rescue olive oil and poor Popeye, man, he is just getting plastered and pummeled and he's taking left hook and right jab and he's getting thrown all over the place until, come on parents, help me out. Please, for the love of God, help me out. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out spinach like we all have at one point or another in our lives totally normal and gets that spinach in him. And all of a sudden, this guy who's getting beat up, strength starts coming from some other place. And now he's got muscles and his muscles have muscles and he's ripping shirts and his legs are and he's just getting massive. And man, he just starts fighting back and Brutus doesn't know what hit him which is crazy because it's the last thing that hit him in the last episode, but let's not try to figure it out. And here comes Popeye to save the day. At the last second, he gets olive oil, saves her from the train tracks, and it's a happy ending. Well, there's a lot more spiritual uh, application than you might have thought just looking at the surface. There's something in you. I said, there's something in you. It's called the grace of God. It's called his help. It's called his favor. It's called his strength. And you don't got to live this life in and of and by and through your own strength. You got God's strength. Somebody say, I'm God strong. I'm God strong. I can do all things through Christ. That anointing that does what? Strengthens me. Thank you, Lord. So these people in this church had some mega grace, some mega strength. And it wasn't just preachers. It wasn't just leaders. It wasn't just grownups. It was on them all. So listen, kids, let me ask you a question. If I could show you somebody in the Bible, a kid, a kid in the Bible that had grace all over him, would you believe that there's grace for you? Would you leave here today believing that God's got grace, that God's got a gift and help and favor and strength, not just for your parents, but for you? I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove it to you. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter two. Thank you, Lord. Luke chapter two. And we're going to read just a couple of verses together here. We're going to look at a kid that had some grace, some big time grace all over him. In Luke chapter two, 
Verse 39, we're going to talk about a little boy named Jesus. And the Bible says in Luke 2:39, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So it's talking about Jesus and his family, his mom and dad. At this point, he was an only child. <laughs> and it says in verse 40 that the child, again, this is Jesus, the child grew and became strong. This translation says in spirit, but if you look back at the original, those words aren't even there. Really what it says is Jesus grew, he became strong, filled with wisdom, and listen to these words, the grace of God was upon him. Now this is pretty early on in Jesus' life. We're reading Luke chapter two, which is a long chapter, and most of it is what we call the Christmas story. You ever heard that story before? It's a great story. And you might remember that there was kind of a big deal made out of Jesus' birth, right? And we, we still make kind of a big deal out of it today. And it was a big deal. It is a big deal. It was such a big deal that angels filled the sky and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And they're out there preaching to a bunch of shepherds. And these shepherds watching their flocks by night, they get all stirred up about it because this angel just said, unto you is born this day in Bethlehem, in the city of David, the Savior. And evidently they believed it because they left their sheep and they ran to Bethlehem and they started looking. And the, the angel said, I'll give you a clue. He's lying in a manger. So they didn't go to hotels. They didn't go to houses. They're looking for barns. They're looking for a manger. And they found him. And the Bible says that they came, they found Jesus laying there in a manger. Of course, Mary and Joseph are there. Who knows what kind of livestock and cattle are all around him. And they began to tell Mary, Jesus' mother, everything that the angels just told them. And Mary's response, this is, this is important. We may mention it again here in a second. But the Bible says when she heard it, she kept and pondered these things in her heart. There is power in a pondering heart. She kept them. She pondered them. She's thinking about them. Then when Jesus was just about know, a month or six weeks old, they brought him to the temple to be presented to the Lord. And when they brought him in, there was an old man there named Simeon, who the Lord had spoken to years before this and said, you will not die until you see the Savior. Now, Mary and Joseph didn't come in the temple that day going, excuse us, Savior's here. Back up, please. Can we have some room for the Savior? No, Mary's just pondering these things. She's not talking about it. But when this old man, this old prophet of God, I guess, if you will, looked at Jesus, he knew who he was looking at. And he held him up and he prayed a powerful prayer over him. But when he was done, there was another woman there. The Bible says she was an older woman. And as soon as she saw him, she did the same thing. Mary and Joseph just thought they're bringing their baby to be presented and all these miraculous supernatural things are happening. He's getting words from God and, and prophecies being declared over him. And that's what happened when Jesus was about six years old and, or excuse me, six months old, sorry, six weeks old. He's little, little baby. 
And then that's where you read in verse 39. After all these things, after his presentation, after they've dedicated their family to the Lord, it says, then they went back. And then verse 40 is where it tells us he grew. He became strong, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Then the very next verse and the very next verse says, are Jesus when he's 12 years old. So we go from one verse when he's six weeks to another verse when he's 12. That's kind of a big jump, huh? Yeah. And you might think, I wonder what was going on in Jesus' life, huh? I wonder what was happening when he turned one. I wonder what Jesus' first birthday party was like. I wonder what was happening when Jesus was a toddler. I wonder what was happening, right, when he's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. And you might think, well, the Bible just doesn't tell us anything about his, his young years. Wrong. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about what was happening in Jesus' life. You want to know what happened to Jesus? Man, this is, this is spiritual. This is miraculous. This is amazing. You want to know what happened to Jesus? He grew. <sighs> right? He grew. I can describe those first two years of Jesus' life to you. When he was born, he just did everything a baby does. It's kind of a funny thought, but Jesus wet his diaper. No, I'm serious. He, he, he came as the same way that you and I came into this world. And he grew and he grew. And Jesus learned to talk. And then Jesus learned to walk. And then Jesus grew just like you did. And the Bible says as he was growing, and getting bigger, the same way you grew, the same way I did, the same way you learned to walk, he learned to walk. The same way you learned to talk, he learned to talk. The same way you got taller, he got taller. The same way you got stronger, he got stronger. But the Bible also says he was growing in wisdom. And here's, here's something important to notice. Grace was on him. Grace was on him. Now you might look at that and say, yeah, but that was Jesus. No, listen, don't think like that. Listen. The grace was on him and you can become like him for one reason. You listening kids? You can become like him because he became like you. Listen to me. You and I can become like him for one reason. He became like us. God could have chosen to do this thing any way he wanted to. A full grown man could have showed up one day. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows anything about him. And he just starts saying all these things from God. But that's not the way God did it. He came as a baby. He came as a child. And when he was born, there, were, there was a grace on his life. Guess what? When you were born. Now I'm talking to little kids. I'm talking to big kids. I'm talking to our 6 through 12 year olds. I'm talking to our teenagers. I'm talking to you kids in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And you know, that. You're born with a gift. The grace of God has been on you from day one. There's a gift. Jesus had the grace on his life. Now then when you look at the next couple of verses, like I said, now he's 12 years old. What, what was he doing that whole time? Well, we know this. He was growing. He was growing. Real spiritual, isn't it? He was growing. Now verse 41 says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. 
And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company. So they're traveling as a big group of people, a lot of friends, a lot of family, and they don't know where he is. They just assume he's somewhere in the crowd with them. They went a day's journey. Gosh, parents of the year right here, huh? They went a day's journey. Then they started looking for him. And he, they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now it was that after three days, three days, the Bible says they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, I love this. This is great mother stuff right here. They saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? That is in true mother form. You did this to us. What did he do? They're the mom, they're the dad. Man, can you imagine what those three days were like? As they can't find him, Mary looks at Joseph, You lost God, you know it. <laughs> You lost the son of God. I can't wait till you stand up there. I can't wait till you're at that judgment seat and you got to answer for what'd you do with my son? I don't know. You, no, I didn't lose God. You had him last three days of this. And then finally they find him. He's 12 years old, sitting here in this temple at listening, asking questions. And she said, that, she said, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? They didn't understand the statement when she spoke to them. Then he went down with them, came to Nazareth, was subject to them, was subject to them. Listen, was subject to them. Do you know that Jesus obeyed his mom and dad? Jesus was obedient to his parents. He was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. For 12 years, Mary's been pondering this grace. For 12 years, she's been pondering and thinking and meditating on the things that have been said to him and things that have been said about him. And in verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And then when you get to Luke chapter three, all of a sudden, Jesus is 30 years old. So we got a few verses about his birth. We got one verse that kind of describes what happened from the time he was a few weeks old to the time he was 12. And then when he's 12, we've got one more verse and then nothing for 18 years. Jesus, what, what was he doing for 18 years? And you might be tempted to think, well, we just don't know anything. We just don't know about those young years in Jesus' life. We don't know about, you know, five-year-old Jesus, 10-year-old Jesus, 15, 18-year-old Jesus, 20, 25-year-old Jesus. We just don't know. Yeah, we do. We know everything we need to know. It's in that one verse right there. He grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favor 
with God and men. That word translated favor is the exact same word translated grace just a few verses before it. Can I tell you what Jesus was doing for the first 12 years, the next 18 years of his life? Growing. He was growing. He was growing in wisdom. He was growing in stature. And he was growing in the grace. Now you grow in wisdom one way. Now I think there's a lot of ways to do it, but there's one way to me that you do it above any other. You know what you do? It has to do with these two things right here. What, what are these right here? How do you grow in wisdom? Listen. You listen. There's a whole book of the Bible called the book of Proverbs that is dedicated just to wisdom, growing in wisdom. And I went back through it in the last couple of days looking for every time that the one who wrote Proverbs said to his son, listen, listen to me, hear what I'm saying, incline your ear, pay attention. And you know, it's over and over and over and over again. Listen, 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 listen. And if you will listen, you'll grow in wisdom. And now what Jesus was doing in the temple, we just read it. He was sitting there listening. He was listening and asking questions. You want to grow in the wisdom of God? Wisdom's not just about smarts. It's not just about knowledge. Education's great. And you need to work hard in school. And you need to read. And you need to retain. And that, all that's wonderful. But wisdom is something else. You don't get that just by reading some textbook. You get that by listening you listen to the spirit of God. You listen to your mom and to your dad. You listen to your, to, to godly men and women who God has put into your life. You listen. You want to know what Jesus was doing for 18 years or excuse me, 12 years. And then another 18 listening. Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life listening. Now that doesn't mean he never said something. Of course he did, but he did a whole lot more listening than he did talking. Now, some of us, right, if, if our son was going to be the savior of the world, we might try to prove it by having him as a two-year-old. Won't you work some miracles, little toddler Jesus? But you don't see that in the Bible, do you? You don't see Jesus going into daycare, laying hands on the other boys and girls, right? You don't, you don't see Jesus in children's church with, a, with an altar ministry, laying hands on the sick. You don't see eight-year-old or 10-year-old Jesus up preaching some message. Now, if, if, if it was our son and we were trying to prove to the world, hey, you, hey, this one, look at this one. We might try to do that. But why, why don't you see that? Huh? Why don't you see six-year-old Jesus walking across the surface of the kiddie pool <laughs> on the top of the water? Didn't happen. Why not? Huh? Why not? One big reason. He wasn't done growing in grace. He had to grow in it. He had to grow in it and grow in it and grow in it. He wasn't done growing in wisdom. He wasn't done growing in stature. That's a cool word. When you look at it, it literally means your, your height. It can mean your age. It can mean uh, your, your literal physical size, but it can also mean, listen to me, big kids, little kids, maturity, maturity. Maturity is not an age you come to. 
Maturity is not a place you automatically or magically arrive at because you're a certain age. Maturity happens when you make the right decision over and over and over. And every time you're faced with a choice, you make the right one. And every time you do that, you get a little more mature. Every time you're faced with the option, tell a truth or tell a lie, and you choose the truth, you just grew up. You just got mature. And you can do that as a 15-year-old. But there are many 55-year-olds who are still stuck as a child because they fail to make the right decision. Maturity happens when you make the right decision over and over and over. And you can see these things work together. When you grow in wisdom, now you've got what it takes to make a right decision. When you grow in the wisdom of God and now you've got a choice to make, am I going to be in the right place or the wrong place? Well, wisdom says be in the right place. So I'm going to choose that. Wisdom says this is the right place at the right time. Wisdom looks around and says, do this, not that. Do the right thing at the right time. Be in the right place. Doing that right thing with who? The right people. It takes wisdom to choose the right people. You want to know what Jesus was doing for 30 years? Making good decisions. Making good decisions. And you're going, yeah, but that was Jesus. No, listen, you can be just like him because he became just like you. But he was growing all that time, growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in grace. Until you get to the book of John, turn here and this will be one of our last scriptures. John chapter one, and it says this about Jesus in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. That means we could see it. The glory of, as of the only begotten of the father, listen, full of grace, full of truth. Verse 16 says, and of his fullness We have all received and grace for grace. Listen to this out of the Amplified Bible. It says, of his fullness, verse 16. If you've got that, put that up there for us. John 1, 16 in the Amplified. For of, out of his fullness. You see this word abundance? You know what that word means? Too much. Overflow. If you had a cup or a bowl and you had a little bit in it, That'd be one thing. Then you could fill it up a little more and then it might be halfway. And then you just keep filling up. At some point, it's going to be full. And full is good. But guess what happens if something gets full and you just keep filling? What's going to happen? It's going to overflow. It's going to start spilling out. That's what that word is. Out of his fullness, out of his abundance, out of his too muchness. We have all received, all had a share, and we were all supplied with, listen, ready? One grace after another. And spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. And even favor upon favor and gift. There's that word again. Somebody say it. Gift. Gift heaped upon gift. So for 30 years, what was Jesus doing? Growing in grace and growing in grace and growing in grace. And it was on him from the time he was little. And as he began to grow naturally 
As he began to get bigger on the outside, he's also getting bigger on the inside. And that grace on him is growing and that gift on him is growing and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. Now, there were no miracles. There was no preachings. There was no teachings. There was no healings. There was no signs, no wonders. No one was being raised from the dead by an eight-year-old Jesus because he was growing and growing and growing. But it came to a point in his life when he was 30 years old that he had gotten so full of that gift, so full of that grace that he wasn't just full of the grace. Now he's overflowing with it. And that's when people saw it. That's when people, like the scripture said, began to receive from it. Out of that overflow of grace came the preaching of the word. Out of that overflow of grace came signs, wonders, miracles. Out of the overflow, that thing he spent 30 years filling up with, it began to overflow and the dead got up and the lame were healed and the blind eyes could see and the deaf ears were open and he would stand and he'd preach to thousands and people would, would see things they'd never seen and hear things they'd never heard all because he had overflowed in that grace. Amen. Now here's the thing. I'm talking to all the kids, big ones and little ones. People are receiving from you and from me whatever we're full of. What are you full of this morning? Because the people in our lives, our families, the ones we work with, the ones we go to church with, are getting from us whatever we've been filling up with, whatever we're overflowing with. And you are either full of yourself or you are full and overflowing with the grace of God, the gift of God. Now, you might be great. I'm sure you are. But your family is not in need of more of you. Your husband, your wife, your kids don't need you overflowing with you. The people you work with aren't in desperate need of more of you. As a matter of fact, <laughs> they may have had about, 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 about as much as they could take. They don't need you overflowing with you. You don't need me overflowing with me. You need a pastor who is so full of the grace of God, so full of Jesus that he overflows with it. That's what you want to be receiving from. And that's what your family needs you full of and you overflowing with. Not you, him. Amen. Not you, that gift, that grace, that anointing, that help, that favor, that strength. You are so full of Jesus that you overflow with him and people begin to receive that overflowing out of you. But we got to be growing in this grace, growing in the grace. And that's what I want to talk about just for the last couple of minutes here. How do we grow in that grace? And I'm saying this especially to our young people in here this morning. I want you leaving today with this awareness and this confidence. God's grace is on me. I don't have to wait until I'm old. I don't got to wait until I'm a mom or a dad. You can have that grace right now. I want all our kids to say it. God's grace, God's grace is, on me. is on me. Say this. I've got a gift. 
That's what that grace is, right? It's a gift. Have you ever seen somebody that's really good at something? We spent the last couple of weeks as a family, we would watch the Olympics at night. I don't know if anybody else watched it or not, but we would sit down and watch it. And we will watch these people, excuse me, these people who are among the best in the world at what they do. And particularly the, the gymnastics and, and that type of thing, you're watching these people go flying across the floor and it's this triple that and a double tuck and a flip and a twirl and they land on their feet. And you look at that and, and so much of the time, you know what people's response is? Not just amazing, they'll say, man, it's so graceful. You ever said that about somebody before? Seen, seen somebody, a professional, professional ballet dancer or something. It's just so graceful, graceful. And without realizing it, what we're saying is they are full of that grace. Now, nobody has ever watched me dance and said, wow, that was graceful. You want to know why? That's not my gift. That's not my grace. But what you're watching when somebody does that and they make it look what? Easy. That's what grace does. Makes it easy because it's God helping you. It's God strengthening you. And you're looking at somebody and you go, man, they've got such a gift. They've got a gift. They are so graceful, full of that gift. Young people, you've got a gift. You've got a gift. And the next, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years of your life, you know what it's about? Growing in that gift. Growing in that gift. So how? How do we grow in the gift? Let me give you three simple things I believe the Lord gave me. And I think you can remember this. Number one, you got to identify it. Everybody say it. Identify. identify. You have to identify the grace of God on your life. Is there something you're good at? Is there something you really enjoy? Is there something that you excel at? Is there something that just seems easy to you or something that you can do that maybe other people can't? If there is, then be quick to look at that and go, okay, that might be the grace. That might be one of the gifts or the graces that God's put on my life. Identify the grace. And this is one of the things, kids, that you need parents for. Parents, this is one of the things our kids need us for. And this is one of the big reasons God has entrusted them to us is because we are in this life to help them identify the grace. Help them see it. I know this happened for me when I was little. I was about three years old. And every night at bedtime, when I was three, four years old, mom and dad would put me in bed, tuck me in, turn out the little cowboy lamp on my nightstand, and they would put a tape. Now, if you don't know what a tape is, ask an old person, they'll tell you. But they would put a tape in a tape recorder and they would play for me as I went to sleep. They would play these Bible stories. They were called stories that live. And it was just stories from the Bible. And it was stories of Daniel in the lion's den. It was stories of the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was stories of Jonah and the whale. It was one Bible story after another. And every night when I go to bed, they'd turn this tape on. And then they'd leave my room. I guess I'd fall asleep and, you know, nobody'd say anything else about it till the next night when it's time to go to bed, put Jeremy in bed, tuck him in, hugs and kisses, turn the tape on. And they turn the tape on night after night after night after night for I don't know how long. 
Till one day, mom and dad said, I don't remember this, but they said we were sitting at dinner and it was just the three of us. My sister was still years away. And uh, they said, I said, do you want to hear a story? And they said, sure, little cute three-year-old Jeremy, tell us a story. And they said, I began to recite these tapes word for word, verbatim, story after story after story. Now they didn't know this was going on. This was not something we were working on together as a family. We weren't trying to memorize something. It had nothing to do with it. They were just turning on a tape and leaving the room. They didn't know that it was getting down in me. They didn't know that I was going to sit at dinner and start saying this. And I told mom and dad as a three-year-old, four-year-old, I said, if you will buy me a three-piece suit. See, my papa at the time was preaching in three-piece suits, which means the suit jacket and the pants that match and the vest that matches and the tie. And, and he would wear a, a, a pocket watch, right? With the little watch in the pocket here and the chain that hung down. And I told mom and dad, if you'll buy me a three-piece suit and a watch pocket, I'll preach. So they did. They bought me this little suit. And my great-grandmother used to have on Monday nights a Bible class. We called it Nani's Bible Study. Vanetta Copeland had Bible study downtown Fort Worth in a little ballroom at a hotel that's still there. And we would go on Monday nights to this Bible study. Well, my parents brought me one night to preach as a four-year-old at this Bible study. And I had the cutest little Southern accent. I mean, it took hours of therapy to get rid of it, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Cute little Southern accent, little bowl haircut. And I was standing there in the suit. Actually, I've got video of this. You don't want to see this though, do you? You don't, you don't want to see four-year-old Jared. You do? You really want to see this video? Okay, guys, bring down the lights. Let's take a look at this. What happened to that cute little kid? I'll tell you what. I show that to, to, to say this to you. My parents identified that and helped me as a young kid identify, this is grace. This is the grace of God. Now, one thing that you got to be watchful over parents, that you and I don't turn that into uh, party tricks. Our kids are not gifts from God for you and I to show off. They're not our trophies. They're not, they're not our source of pride. Do you notice what Mary did? She pondered these things. Go ahead, guys, in her heart. And that's one of the things that we have to do. But we must help our kids identify. Say it again, identify, identify. the grace. And that's what Sarah and I are looking for right now in Justice and Jesse. Lord, where's the grace? What's the grace? And I'm telling you, it's starting to pop. It's starting to surface. I've seen actually some of the same things in them with, with memory and, and hanging on to things. And, and it, I, I look at that and I don't just go, well, well, isn't that neat? No, that's grace. That's grace on them. So you identify it, but then what do you do? You magnify it. When you magnify something, it gets bigger. And so many people, when... They do something well and somebody comes along and says, hey, great job. They think it's real spiritual sounding to say, oh, no, that was nothing. That, oh, that's nothing. Uh, no, no, you know, I, that's just me. That, that ain't nothing. But be careful doing that because you're actually downplaying 
the grace of God. You're actually minimizing the grace of God. Now, it's not for you and I to stand there and say, yes, I am amazing. All bow down to me. That's not what this is about. You magnify the grace, not you, the grace. You magnify the gift and you do that by feeding it. If you found something that the grace of God is on your life in, you feed it. You look for opportunity to do it. You look for opportunity to serve with it. And that's what the grace is all about. The grace was on Jesus, but it wasn't for Jesus. It was for the people he would minister to. The grace of God is on you, but it's not just for you. It's for the people that he's called you to serve. The church that he's called you to serve in. The people that he's called you to love and to help with that grace. So you identify it, you magnify it, and then you glorify, but not you, you glorify God. And isn't that what Jesus said? He said, let men see your good works. Or I like to say it like this. Let people see what you're good at, but then let them glorify God. And people will try to give you the praise. People will try to give you the glory. And kids, listen, even mom and dad will try to praise you sometime. I'm so proud of you, they'll say. I'm so proud that you did this. And I'm so proud that you did that. But listen, go look at it in the scriptures for yourself. Who is it that gets the grace? It's not the proud. It's the humble. So when, when our kids are excelling and they're doing well, parents, let's be quick to help them recognize, man, God is helping you so much. God gave you so much strength today. God gave you so much favor today. He's helping you so much. Isn't that better than saying, I'm proud of you? Yeah, I can tell you're gonna have to chew on that one a little bit, but think about it. Just go before the Lord with it. And let's find some things to do that identify the grace, magnify the grace, but then make sure that God's the one that gets all the glory for it. Amen. 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 Would you stand on your feet? Sarah, would you come? Justice and Jesse, would you come up too, please? These are our little treasures. Thank you, kids, for being patient today and and listening to the word. Did you get anything good out of this today? Say it again. Great grace is on us all. Say this. I've got a gift. It's the gift of God's grace. We want to do just a couple more things before we leave. We had it in our hearts to take a moment today before the kids go back to school to pray over them, to pray specifically over their healing this year over their protection and over their relationships. So what I want to do right now, Sarah and I are just going to lay our hands on Justice and Jesse as a point of contact. Parents, reach over and put your hand on your child, your son or your daughter. And let's come into agreement right now concerning this coming school year. Sarah, come in here with me. Let's just get around them here. And let's pray over them. And we're going to pray, like I said, over their healing, over their protection and over their relationships. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we are so thankful, Lord, that you have entrusted us with such special treasures. We thank you for these little lives, and Lord, we call them blessed today. And Father, we pray over their school year that's coming up, and I ask you, Lord, to stir an excitement in them and us and the whole family about the good things, the great things, and greater things you want to do through them in this school year. And Lord, many of them are going into different places different schools, some in elementary, some in junior high, some in high school. But I know that your spirit goes with them everywhere they go. And I pray specifically right now, Father, over the healing of their bodies, 
Jesus, we know that you took on the cross not only our sin, but you took our sickness and you took our pain and you bore it. And I say in the name of Jesus that our children, the children of this church, are free from every childhood disease, that no sickness, no disease can attach itself to their bodies, that they are strong, their immune systems are strong. They are quickened and made alive in Jesus' name. And they fight off every disease, every germ, every virus. And in Jesus' name, I say over them that no sickness, no disease, no infection, no source of inflammation will be able to stay on their bodies. I call our children well and whole and strong. And if there are any in pain right now, we say pain, leave. If there are any dealing right now with the sickness, we say sickness, leave their bodies in Jesus' name. If there are any that have inflammation of any kind, we say leave in Jesus' name. No childhood diabetes, no childhood sicknesses. The children of this church are well and whole and strong to the glory of God. Father, we pray this year over their protection. Lord, we don't have to tell you it's a crazy world out there, but we do know this that a thousand can fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not come near us. It will not come near the children of this church. And I say whatever school that is represented here by the children of this church and ministry, I plead the blood of Jesus over that school and no evil person will be able to set foot in it. No person with a wrong motive or a motive to do harm. You'll not be able to set foot in that place. We we plead the blood of Jesus over that place. It's separated, it's consecrated, it's dedicated to the glory of God because our children are there. And Satan, you will not touch, you will not harm the lives of our children. They dwell in the secret place of the Most High. They abide under the shadow of the Almighty and it will not come near them. Our children will live out the full number of their days in life, in health, in peace, in prosperity. And Lord, if you've got to move people or move things or change things, I know it's your grace and your favor that would do that for us. We believe you for it, ask you for it, and we receive it. And Father, I pray over their relationships. I know how important relationships are, Lord, at this age. And I'm asking you to bring other godly boys and girls, young men and women into their lives. Lord, many of our kids are going into very secular environments where where they don't talk about you and you're not acknowledged. But I do know that greater is he that lives in our kids than he that's in the world. And our children, our teenagers will shine as big, bright lights. And I believe in Jesus name that other godly boys and girls and young men and women will be drawn to them and they'll develop friendships, not just at school, but here at church, friendships that last a lifetime. And Lord, I'm asking that if, if any of our teenagers go into their school and there's, it just doesn't seem like there's another believer, not another Christian in sight, number one, that they'd be a witness, but number two, that they would find friends here in your house that would be a strength to them and a support and a flow of life to them. Lord, we thank you for the godly influences that our children are and that they receive from. Lord, I'm asking you bring godly teachers to them. If you've got to move people out, move them out. 
If you've got to put people in other places, put them in other places. If you've got to bring teachers, Lord, from the other side of the country or somewhere else in the world to bring them into our classrooms, bring them. That's not too much. That's not too hard for you. And we say in Jesus' name that this year will be a prosperous year, a glorious year, a successful year. We ask you for your help, Lord. It's not cheating if you help them with the test. It's not cheating if the answer comes out of your spirit and brings to mind what they have studied. And that's not too much for you. That's grace and that's favor. We thank you for it. We love you and thank you for loving our kids. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.